Well, good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year. 2020 is gone, and we're now into 2021. Last year held a lot of unusual and unexpected events, most notably the COVID-19 virus, which is still with us and probably will be with us for a good part of this year. We are thankful to God for the, the vaccines that are coming out, and hopefully this will uh, end this virus eventually, or this pandemic. And uh, we're thankful to God for that. But whatever happens, we know that as Christians, our times are in his hands. And he cares for us. He's provided for us. And as the events of history come and go, the one constant is God, our Heavenly Father, Jesus, his Son, and the Holy Spirit ever present with us. Now, throughout history, um, great empires and civilizations have come and gone. Uh, some rose to be very powerful empires, lasting for a few generations or a few hundred years, and then they fall and disappear. And you see that a lot in the Old Testament, but uh, since the time of the New Testament to the present, the same holds true. And the reasons for this are many. Um, and they vary within uh, one civilization or one period of time to another. But uh, one of the greatest civilizations of all, from the time of the beginning of the New Testament until now, was the civilization of the Greeks. Now, the Greeks made very important con contributions uh, to society. They emerged as a a nation that was really quite unique. They were given over to philosophy and to trying to figure out what life means. They, they contributed a lot to mathematics, to astronomy and medicine. They, they really accomplished quite, quite a, a great deal. They also uh, introduced ideas of democracy and um, a, a government order, things that hadn't been uh, around in, in, in previous times. Uh, they were sophisticated. They were known for their sculpture, for their architecture, for the arts. And uh, their culture, of course, then influenced greatly the Roman culture, the Roman Empire that followed them. So the Greeks rose and then they fell. The Romans uh, rose and took over. Um, and uh, that's the period of time that Paul found himself in when he was preaching in the New Testament. Uh, and, of course, the same would be true for Jesus. Greek culture still had great, great influence in the world, but the predominant power at that time, the time of Jesus and the time of Paul, was uh, the Romans. Well, Paul visits Athens one day, the principal city of uh, of Greece. And it says in verse, uh, and this is chapter 17 of the book of Acts, and it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, Paul had been to a lot of cities, and I don't, it doesn't say that uh, in any of the cities he was as distressed as it indicates here um, He was that he was for the for the city of Athens and all of their idols. 
But he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Now, the synagogue is a Jewish uh, teaching building uh, where the law was read and it was taught by rabbis. But here in Athens, it seems that this synagogue was taken over by the ideas of Greek philosophy, including the idolatry. And, and so Paul reasoned with them in the synagogue, in this place where Jewish tradition and Jewish law would have been understood and read and, and presumably practiced. But he's reasoning with them about idols. And then he goes to the marketplace where people were just coming and going, and he was talking to them about all of their idols. And it says, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. As I said, the Greeks were really given to philosophy, trying to figure out the meaning of life. And there were two completely distinct groups of philosophers. One were the, was the Epicureans. Now, they, they believed that life was a party. The whole purpose of life was to be happy. And so it was kind of like an eat, drink, and be merry, happy kind of philosophy, because um, we're only here for a while, so enjoy life while you can. On the other hand, were, were the philosophers known as the Stoics, and they believed quite opposite. They, they were very austere, very sober-faced and sober-minded, and, and they believed that morality was the pre- premier, the primary issue of life. And so they lived a very rigid kind of lives, kind of lives. And so... Uh, they be, he began to, uh, Paul did, began to debate with these groups of people, the Jews and the Stoics and the Epicureans and other philosophical groups. And, and some of them, after listening to him for a while, said, what is this uh, babbler trying to say? So they referred to him as a babbler. Now, interestingly, Paul was an extremely brilliant man. And his writings in the New Testament are still considered as some of the greatest uh, logical presentations of a case. Uh, they're even, uh, the book of Romans is even used in teaching lawyers how to reason and argue. And uh, that's still, a, so, so Paul was very, very, very smart, very intelligent. And yet these people, considering the things he was saying, said he's a babbler. He's just going on and on and on. And a babbler was considered by them to be somebody of very little education, with very little knowledge, and they just and you couldn't really decipher exactly what they were saying. But then it says, some of them asked uh, or remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. So obviously, Paul was talking about gods, and they understood this to had to be plural because they believed in many gods. The city was full of idols, each idol representing worship to a god. So um, he seems to be advocating foreign gods, and they said this because, because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So There were two contrasting views, two contrasting lifestyles, two contrasting cultures. The culture of the world, 
which believed in many things, and that of Paul, where Jesus is central, where the resurrection is central. And so he wasn't talking about many gods. He was talking about the good news, the gospel of Jesus and the, and the resurrection. So you have these two contrasting worldviews that were present then and are still present today, of course. In verses 19 to 21, it says, They took him, that is Paul, and brought him to a meeting place of the Areopagus. Now, the Areopagus was an aristocratic uh, an, sorry, an, an aristocratic council of ancient Athenians. So they were, they were the high class people, and they formed it, this council. At, at actually, it was a hill called Arius, and so they, the word Areopagus came from this hill where they would meet for this council for to determine things of importance and to debate various philosophies. So. Uh, they bring him to the Areopagus, uh, and it says, um, uh, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. They were always looking for something new, a new idea, new philosophy. That's what, that's what people in Athens debated. Uh, you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. So there's that contrast again. And we would like to know what they mean. So they're curious, which is a good thing. Uh, and it says, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So they were always philosophizing about the meaning of life. What's a, what's a new idea? What What is life all about? So they're really expressing a dissatisfaction what they had experienced in life up to their up to that time in their lives so with all of the advances of greek culture all of the architecture and the beauty and the the uh, the buildings that were erected and uh, all the advantages the advances the prosperity it left them empty there there really wasn't a, a satisfaction or else they wouldn't be asking paul for another new idea. What's this new idea that you have? And of course, our world is full of the same today. Nothing really has changed. As cultures and civilizations and empires, nations rise and they fall, the issues tend to always be the same. And they still are today, as I've said. We come to this point in history and we, we look back at 2020 and we look at all of the disruption that COVID-19 caused and how it's continuing to do so today and the alarming rate of people who are dying because of this virus. It's just really hard to fathom. Well, um, we're still left with, not just for that reason, but for other reasons as well, political unrest, the threat of war, um, the Iranians starting to... Uh, build or prepare to build uh, atomic bombs. Um, that's just one thing. Uh, all, the distress, all the distress and the unrest, the, the numbers of people that are just uh, stressed out so much because of the times in which we were living. So, so some things, they really don't change. So it says in verse 22, 
and verse 23. Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. So he affirmed them. Um, he, he said, I see you're very religious. And that was not a controversial thing. That was, they would certainly agree with him. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So there's something that you're not aware of. Uh, all of your searching and, and the whole idea that uh, all of the arts and the culture and all the reasoning and the philosophy they, <clears throat> had left them empty. So they, they concluded, well, there must be more than us. There must be superior beings. And so they started to um, uh, worship the gods of sun. There must be a god in the sun and the moon and the stars. And, and so they, they had a myriad of gods and, and they worshipped them, and they thought, well, <clears throat> it doesn't seem like all these gods are really satisfying or they, they really aren't answering the deepest questions of our lives, so we'll just continue to worship. And maybe there's one we don't know. So we'll, just to be sure, just, just to make sure we've covered all our bases, we'll uh, uh, erect an idol, a temple, to this unknown god, somebody we don't know, but he must be out there. So... <clears throat> uh, the interesting thing is that uh, in a culture where reason and, and advanced political systems flourished and proved to be not enough, at the same time, there was an abundance of idolatry, of worshipping something or something or someone or an idea or a pursuit whatever it might be. Uh, but idolatry abounds where there's emptiness in the human heart. Well, uh, to the unknown God, and he said, I will, I will proclaim him to you. So uh, this, this statement, he said, you know, you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. So you're ignorant of really who he is, or there's something that this reality that eludes you that seems to be above you, that though you try, you can never really truly find. It, it, it escapes you. So the very you're ignorant of this very thing you worship, but I'm going to proclaim who he is to you. Uh, you know, it's so, so tragic that people value things and have great devotion for things or people or ideas or even politics or politicians. And uh, idolatry can come in various forms. Uh, pleasures, just so so many things, and, and we're often ignorant of the true impact that they really have on our lives. Well, <clears throat> verses 24 to 28, and this is very interesting. Here's what he proclaims. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Now, Paul begins his talk to the Athenians, his preaching, if you will, his appeal to them. And no doubt it was a passionate one. He didn't appeal to them on the basis of what they considered to be the basis of life, the foundation of life. And that was humankind, man. Everything centers around man, ideas, philosophies, etc. 
But Paul declares an opposite idea. He declares that there is one true God, that the whole basis of Christianity is based upon that. And uh, that, that contrast, of course, still remains today. So, uh, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Very interesting statement. Um, Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So, you say, well, doesn't God need something? Doesn't he need our worship? Doesn't he need our, our, you know, our tithes and offerings to the church? Are, Are not these needs that God has? Well, no, because if there was, if he had a need, that means he would be deficient in some way. And he isn't. He's all sufficient. And so the, the needs, the, all of these things that we do in worship and praise and our lifestyle is, is really response to the goodness of God to our lives. For from one man, he made all the nations, he, uh, he went on to say, that they should inhabit the, all, the whole earth. And he <clears throat> marked out their appointed times. This is extremely interesting. Uh, Paul says that nations come and they go as ordained by God. In uh, their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands, God did this so that they would seek Him, <clears throat> excuse me, and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from any of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, uh, we are His offspring. Well, uh, appointed times, um, nations, culture, civilizations, they come and they go. And, and, and God limits them uh, to certain seasons and times. And in all of this, he's hoping, looking for uh, people to respond to him instead of just doing what the Greeks were doing, just living for their own ideas and, and uh, uh, their cultural achievements. So, at the time uh, that uh, Greek culture was really prominent, uh, it really had authority and influence. It was really an empire in the earth. But then the Romans started to rise. And then as they did, uh, their power eclipsed that of the the Greeks. And the Romans came uh, to, to authority and power, and they... They lasted for about 500 years. And so uh, these um, periods of history uh, continued on from them with the rise and the fall of all these different um, um, cultures, civilizations. Uh, After the Romans, excuse me, (coughs) we come to a period of history known as the early Middle Ages, and it's from the years 476 or, or around there to uh, the year 1000. So this uh, over 500 years. And uh, this, this period was marked by uh, nations starting to gather themselves together and form uh, armies and, and political boundaries after the fall of Rome where Rome dominated, they were suppressed. But now that Rome had 
basically fallen, uh, they, uh, they started to emerge. And so this was uh, a time of a lot of battles, a lot of wars between nations. Uh, it's also in this period of time that Islam uh, has its beginning. And then after what is known as this early Middle Ages, come the High Middle Ages, a period of from about 1000 to 1250 AD, about 250 years. And in this period, we see the height of the Catholic Church uh, really starting to emerge in the power of the Crusades. And so much of, the, of this, this period of time, um, uh, you see uh, this being the, the principal phenomenon of that period of time. And later, the, the late Middle Ages, from 1250 to about 1450, um, well, one of the things that characterized that period of time was the Black Plague. And about 25 million people in Europe died, but one-third of their population. And so the plague was <laughs> one of the things that characterized that period. But also, it was the period of um, European exploration, uh, people starting to travel the world. It was the period of Christopher Columbus and the discovery of the New World, North America. It's in this period that the printing press was invented. Um, and then that gives a way to the, what's known as the early modern period. Um, and uh, that is from about 1500 to 1750. So uh, historians classify all these periods because of things that were really predominant in uh, one period and uh, not so much in the other periods. Now, in this period is something known as the Renaissance. Uh, it, it's the age, was known as the age of enlightenment and reason, where people started to, again, philosophize, philosophize and, and, and consider more of a man-based idea of existence. Uh, it was the age of discovery and... Uh, also the age of the Protestant Reformation. It began in this period of time. Uh, and then we have the late modern period, which is, historians say it's from 1750 to 1945, so approximately 300 years. And in this period of time is the Industrial Revolution. Um, that was basically a worldwide thing where now everything was starting to uh, be, in, instead of more of an agricultural uh, basis for uh, life and economics, it was shifting now to more of an industrial one. Um, it was a, year, a period of imperialism where the, the British, the Spanish, the French started to claim other lands for their own uh, domination. It was a period in which World War I took place, and that covered much of the earth. Um, the Spanish flu happened in this, at this time, um, uh, started in about 1918, a terrible, terrible plague. When we lived in Labrador, there were three communities north of us, uh, Ocock, Newtok, and Saglac. And back in the time of the... Of the uh, Spanish flu, 
they only had, those people would only get mail once or twice a year and supplies from outside about the same time. These were Inuit communities that were, that lived um, uh, fishing and, and trapping and hunting. And uh, so after, uh, I guess it was 1919, 1918, I'm not sure which year, whenever the it was possible to travel up there again after the after the ice would have made it possible for for boat traffic they came and found every person in those communities dead all they found was the skeletal skeletal remains in their in their dwelling places so the spanish flu was incredibly uh, affecting during that period of time also in that period came the roaring 20s a great time of of economic prosperity, and then right after that, the Great Depression, which led into then World War II. So these were these were terrible things that happened during that period, as well as good things. And and, and you can see the the commonality of 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 all of that, uh, as it's been described by historians. And now <clears throat> we're in what is called the contemporary period. It's the seen as the newest stage of world history. And uh, what's it known for? Well, after World War II, uh, life started to take on, as far as the politics of the world was concerned, uh, something called the Cold War, the rise of communism and the threat of atomic bombs and, of course, the, the idea of democratic, democratic nation, nations in, in stark contrast to communisms. Uh, communism. So also this period has been known as the space age, where now we are doing space travel. It's uh, known as the information age, especially with the advent, uh, the rise, the creation of the computer, which goes back just to the early 70s. And uh, uh, we also, have, of course, have our own plague similar to the Spanish flu and the Black Plague and other pandemics that have happened throughout world history, we have our own. So in all of these periods of time, the scripture says, Paul said, with all of these differences as nations and histories and boundaries, they come and they go. God has one purpose. He he allowed certain things to happen. He didn't create them. He didn't create the wars, but he allowed them to happen for nations to come and nations to go. And he did this. And notice it, it states his clear purpose in verse 27. God did this so that they, that is the cultures, the nations, uh, they would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him. So here we find the heart of God, the longing of God for his lost creation, for whatever period of time it was civilization that was lost to him uh, because of sin that began with our first parents, with Adam and his wife. Well, uh, he still longs for for us to reach out to him, to find him, uh, to look beyond all of the ideas and the new things and the advances and which are happening at unbelievable rate uh, today. Uh, and so many things change, and they change so fast and so often. 
and just so many technologies. And well, as as you know, it's just really hard to keep up uh, up to it all. But in this period of time, just like every other period, God is reaching out. He he is allowing this period of history to continue as it is for the one purpose of seeking out people who will seek him. And he's not hard to find, uh, Paul said. Um, He's very present. He's very, very close to any who will reach out to him. And he, he says in verse 29 to 30, Therefore, since we are all God's offspring, no matter what period of time we or history we come from, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, (laughs) but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Now imagine Paul is saying this uh, to the people of the Areopagus, this a council of the wisest of people, and he refers to their understanding of life as being ignorance. You've got all these idols, you've got all these quests, all these pursuits, but you come up short in every one of them. And so it was a very bold statement to say to people who were the elite, the elite of the time, uh, you know, you're really not aware, you're ignorant, you've, you've discovered so much, but you've missed the most obvious and the most wonderful, and the most important. And that is God's desire to love you, to forgive you, um, and to change your life, for you to know the true meaning of life. And that still is the same today. Uh, with all that's going on, with all the things that are happening in our culture, our civilization, our in, in world history at this time, with the just uh, everything happening at such a a, a rapid pace and the threats of war uh, today uh, there's always been a threat of war but today we've got the ability to annihilate ourselves with atomic bombs and atomic atomic weaponries uh, so basically Paul is is saying to them uh, stop seeking and searching you don't have to seek and search anymore God is present uh, you'll be forgiven. Uh, you'll, you'll get a brand new start uh, if you just reach out to God today. It's the beginning of a new year. And he invites every person. Uh, if you're listening this morning and you're not a Christian or you've, you've struggled with Christianity, you can, uh, is it really true? Well, today you can make an important discovery, the most important discovery of all, and that is to know Jesus, to know the eternal God who created you. You see, he's not far from us, is what Paul said. And in verse 31, he goes on to say, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed, that man, of course, being Jesus. And he is given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So in the beginning, as he starts to talk, uh, and he starts to talk about the, of his speech to, the, to these people, he talks about Jesus being raised from the dead, and they considered him a babbler for saying such a thing. But now he brings them right back to the same truth. Um, 
that he has proven this, uh, or the proof of this to everyone is that Jesus was raised from the dead. So he comes right back to the resurrection. But he, before that, he says that there is a day when judgment will happen, when God will judge the world with justice by the man Jesus, who was raised from the dead. Uh, throughout history, there have been many judgments, um, many uh, nations that arose up in, in, in terrible evil that came to nothing, um, many despotic, terrible leaders uh, that rose and then eventually were, were no more. Um, many judgments. And, and basically, Paul is saying to the Greeks listening to him, it, it, listen, if you continue on the way you are, your nation is going to fall too. It'll come to nothing. It already had in so many ways, but it's going to fall even further. Uh, now, he's addressing intellects. He's, ad he's addre addressing the people who were known as the smartest day, uh, smartest people. And he's saying, there's a set day. There is a day when he will judge. A day is coming, an appointed day. Just as all of these uh, periods of history, uh, they were created by God, but God appointed their boundaries. He appointed how far they could go and uh, when he would put a stop or when other things would come to pass that would displace them in so many ways. So there is a set day. And he's going to judge the world with justice, uh, of course, which is opposite to injustice. It's opposite to unfairness, opposite to the privilege that some people have when it comes to law, opposite to the prejudice, all, to the racism, to all the things that so define us today. Justice that is that is equal for all, and it's based upon the man Christ Jesus. What have we done with Jesus? <laughs> he's not going to judge us so much for the sins we've committed as he's going to judge us for what we've done with Jesus. Once Jesus comes into our life, he forgives us our sins. He remits the, them. So in other words, he pays the ransom, the price, to cancel the sins. And so, he gives us a brand new life. We become new creations in him. So <clears throat> ultimately, on the day of judgment, God will judge us. He'll judge you and he'll judge me on what we've done with Jesus. Um, I pray that today you will put your trust in him. The proclamation of the resurrection, which was so different than the civilization of the Greeks. They were speculations after speculations. Maybe it's this idea or this idea or another new idea will come and we'll wait for it. Paul didn't speculate. He was certain. He was clear. He based what he uh, believed on the word of God, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the only hope for the world. Not the not philosophy, not the latest idea, but Jesus, about God, about the Bible, about the Holy Spirit, about the cross where Jesus died. These are the certainties. 
These are facts that cannot be thwarted by any idea or displaced by anything else. These are the true facts of Christianity, the facts of Jesus, the facts of life as they really are. And verse 32 to the verse 34, this, the story closes with this. When they heard about the resurrection of, de of the dead, some of them sneered. So <laughs> imagine, well, if you're a Christian, you find that really incredible. But if you're not a Christian, the whole idea of the resurrection can be something that seems very far-fetched and just, well, just not believable. And that's how they felt about it. So they sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. So there was different classes of people here. First of all, there were the skeptics, the scoffers. Uh, they just had closed their minds and their hearts to Jesus. But others, their minds and their hearts were opened. They said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And there might be folks listening this morning, and that's where you are. Well, well, well I, I've heard about Christianity and about Jesus and about his church, and I know Christians, and I, I'm not sure, but I, I, I want to consider it more. Well, God bless you. The Lord will help you with that. And, uh, and so will other Christians. Uh, you don't have to go that route alone. There's support and help for you uh, if you want to know more about Jesus. At that, Paul left the council. So this whole council at the Areopagus, he, he leaves them. But some of the people became followers. So here's this third group of people. First the scoffers, then the seekers, the searchers, those who weren't sure about what they had heard. And then imagine in just that one discourse... Among all of these intelligentsia uh, folks, if you will, uh, among them, some became followers of Paul and they believed. They put their faith in Christ. They trusted him. And among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus. So here, this brilliant man, uh, uh, part of this, as I say, intelligentsia, he he was really up there in Greek culture, Greek society, Greek civilization. He, he became a follower of Jesus with just that one encounter. So there was something of the Holy Spirit's presence around Paul that the very atmosphere penetrated, hearts that were open. And Dionysius says, yes. I'll be a follower of Jesus. So all of the idolatry, all the temples that are here, all of the philosophical ideas, and uh, you know what? I'm going to let all that go, and I'm going to become a follower of Christ. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful thing, and people still do that. And then it says, very interesting, also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. A woman named Damaris. Now, it doesn't say anything about her status. She wasn't a member of the Areopagus. She had no apparent notoriety in the city, good or bad. She was just a woman named Demarius. Uh, no, no doubt, uh, 
with the, the number of others, there would have been women included in that number. But why send her out to Marius? Well, you know that her name literally means heifer, a little one, somebody of no consequence. So from the highest in the esteem of others to the lowest. With God, there's no difference. Every person is alike. And so where we might applaud uh, the man Dionysius, we might overlook the woman Demarius. But God doesn't. And really, neither should we. There's no status in the kingdom of God. No status of one person being better than another. At the foot of the cross, we're all equal. And the glory of this new year is not the glory of maybe this pandemic will end because we have antiviral um, inoculations available. Um, As important and as good as that is and will be, I'm sure, that's not the future that we really embrace. That's not really the hope. That's not really the drive that keeps us going as followers of Jesus. What matters is, it is God who has created. He's given us his word. He's given us his son. These are certainties. Jesus is the living word. He abides forever. Our future, our eternity rests upon that wonderful truth. And the gospel, the good news, based upon the resurrection of Jesus, where he triumphed over sin, over death, and over hell, um, gives us a glorious hope. There is a day coming that leaps off the page of the scriptures that we've read this morning. And if you know Jesus, you're ready for that day. Uh, I'm going to pray in just a moment, and then right afterwards... um, Greg Zentner is going to lead us in communion. So if you want to, if you're watching by Zoom, of course you are, If not by Zoom, but by YouTube, and you are if you're listening uh, this morning uh, on, on this, on your uh, TV or computer screen. Um, uh, right after my prayer, Greg is going to lead us, and so if you want to pause and and uh, get something. Uh, If you have communion juice, uh, grape juice and bread, uh, bring it to a table by the chair you're sitting on or whatever. You can gather your family around the table and partake of communion uh, together as Greg leads us. Um, The truth is that um, God does love you. He cares for you. And uh, we pray the Lord's grace upon you today.